right. Well, we've been in a series, The King and His Kingdom. The King and His Kingdom. I greatly enjoy this because every I enjoy so much thinking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who saved me, who loved me, the one who reigns eternally. Before I ever was, and when I'm in eternity, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we spent four weeks in the Old Testament, and last week we jumped into the book of Matthew, and we'll stay there throughout this series in Matthew 2, learning about the King and his kingdom. So if you'll turn to Matthew 2, verse 3. Last week we learned a lot. We dug deep. We dug deep and we looked at the Word of God and, and uh, listened to this. If you missed this service last week, listen to it. The Lord whispered something to me that just filled my, uh, from the Word of God, that just filled, put wind in my cells, and it does the same for all of us. When we hear the Word of God, when we, when we, it, He whispers to us, and this Word becomes alive and just hits us. So we looked at Matthew 1 and 2, so we're going to read 3 through 8. I worked hard, just as hard as I did last week, but I could not put together a sermon of two verses. I mean, I'm not Billy Graham. Two verses, so we're going to look at Matthew 2, 3 through 8 this week, but we're going to learn some new things from the Word of God, this wonderful Word of God. So let's, we remember that the, um, the wise men have come in. They wanted to know, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Not a maybe, not a is there this going to happen? No, they said, where is he? We know this is truth, absolute truth. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? And so we're going to pick it up in Matthew 2, verse 3. Then Herod the king heard this. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is for Thus it is written by the prophet, and this is a prophecy from the book of Malachi, just a little bitty book in the Old Testament, a minor prophet. Um, Micah, I'm sorry, not Malachi, Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judea, of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them, what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Look, even if you go to church once a year, you know that story. You know that is a familiar story story to you. What's amazing about the Word of God, like a perfect diamond, I can stare at it, and just one degree turn is a whole beautiful, something I've never seen, something so wonderful. So let's look at this. Verse 3, then Herod and the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, something's wrong here. No, nothing's wrong with the infallible word of God. But something's wrong in, this, in that statement. We got an Edomite, ungodly king who is put there over this region by Caesar Augustus. He's not a Jew. He's not a, a God-fearing man at all. He's troubled. Well, of course he's troubled. He's old. He's, he's getting ready for retirement. There's one thing I shouldn't say this. Old people don't like, don't mess up their routine, Right? I want to get up at this time. I want the coffee to be ready. I want the day to go like this. I have just offended like half the church. I, that was not the Lord. Wow. I like, I'm a routine person. That's why I can say that. All right, I thrive with routine. Routine's being rest. I want, I've done the craziness, all the things when I was younger. I want some routine. And Herod has worked 30 years to make this thing run like he wants to run it. He's in charge. I want it to run. Of course he is upset because they're going to throw a monkey wrench in everything he's worked so hard for. That should be there in the Bible. The next thing should not be there in the Bible, but it is. And all Jerusalem with him. That shouldn't be there. Where's Jerusalem? That's God's people. That's Israelites. 
That's the people who just quoted from the Bible. And if they had ever one time in their life read this scripture from Micah, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least, but coming to you is a great shepherd, they should not be worried. They should be excited. They should be elated. And so it is with us. Now, listen, we are different than the world. Herod's going to get upset. That's normal, not us. In fact, let me give you an example. If someone came running in to this auditorium, flung open the doors, hopefully they wouldn't fling them too fast. Security would put red dots on them. (laughs) And flung open the doors and said, oh my goodness, the skies are split open, the world's ending. We would say, woohoo, all right, Jesus is coming back. They're freaking out. We're like, all right, this is a good day. Our reaction is very different than the world's. It should be. This is the problem we see here in this text. They have left the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Spirit of God is not near them, and they are reacting just like the world. We don't do that. Number one in your notes. The king's servants react differently than the world. Oh, no, we're not like the world, are we? Jerusalem should not have been upset. Especially all Jerusalem. Now, there was a few, we'll look in just a minute, that were not upset. But we just function and think differently than the world does. Let me show you these couple that were not upset. If we see Jesus just a few days after he had been born in Luke 2, there's a typo on your notes. That should say Luke 2, not Luke 1. Everything else is correct. In Luke 2, we see Jesus going to the temple... And there's a couple of people, they're not upset, they're super elated. In fact, they're so elated and so excited, they've been waiting for this day for years. We briefly looked at this last week. I learned something I never really understood or saw in the Christmas narrative. The world's always going to be the world. There's always going to be, you know, the hottest news. You won't even remember it the next week because there's a new news cycle and this person's in charge and this big blow up and this big emotional thing and this and that. Look, you couldn't even have 150 million channels if the world didn't live on drama. Okay, how in the world can networks function with billion dollar budgets and still do it? They live on drama. (laughs) They just live on what's the next bad thing that's happened. So that's the world. It'll always be like that. We're Christ followers. We're the movers and shakers, actually. We're the ones, like these two people we're going to look at, that react differently than the world. Let me just show you here. Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's why he's not going to react the same as the world. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Oh, he's going, oh, yes, I am so excited about this time. It's total opposite of the world's reaction. A few verses over, let's look at Anna. Now, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband 70 years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years old who did not depart from the temple, did not depart from the temple. Her life was not the best, but look at this, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instance, what did she do? What was her reaction to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What did she do? She gave thanks. Oh, She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who had looked for the redemption of Israel. We react differently than the world. If the world's upset, usually we're happy. (laughs) If the world's really happy, that's when we have to go pray. (laughs) Let me me, uh, illustrate this one other way here. You guys have ever gotten bad service at a restaurant? You know, bad. Oh, that was louder than the amens. That that was a group. Oh, oh my. Listen, we're going to have prayer after service. And if y'all need to I mean, you know, get some things to the altar to be free. Whoo! I did not expect that one. <laughs> that happens. We've been there. Let me show you a couple pictures. 
we do not react like this when we have bad service. <laughs> we don't do this. Now, I just realized there's a lot of stuff in there. Y'all got to get worked out with Jesus. This is not giving you ideas, in, right? Right? Okay, this is just, we don't do this. We don't do this to people. We react differently. Have you ever been to a, uh, a parking lot? And it may, especially during the holidays. Oh, God, parking lots during the holidays. They parked in, the, in two lanes. Mm-hmm. Does, um, but we do not react like the world. Let me show you. This is what the world does. <laughs> you wouldn't do that, nor would I actually be giving you ideas to do something instead of just illustrating a sermon. You would not do that, right? No, because you don't react like the world. You don't react like the world, and you certainly would not do this. That's wrong. That is a world's reaction right there. Now, I'll give them, I'll give them an A for creativity, okay? You got to give them an A for that. It's still sin. It's just creative sin. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the first time someone in this church saw that, who we remain nameless, they may or may not be doing AV right now. They said, oh, I'm going to do that to my husband. <laughs> this is the world's reactions. This is what they do when they get angry and frustrated. We don't do that. We function differently. We, I want to function like Simeon. I want to function like Anna. No matter what's going on in the outside world, the Holy Spirit's the one leading and directing me. No matter what's going on in the world, oh, that, that I'm filled with peace. Like Anna, Anna is a worshiper. She's giving thanks to the Lord and she's an evangelist and telling of everything he did. What a reaction. Does the world need that one? Amen. They need that one more than number 47 Christmas special on TV. Okay, if I have to see another Christmas special. I'm so, I'm, listen, I'm going to do an altar call, and I'm going to go up there too. Okay, I'm going to go. I promise. Let me show you. Paul says a statement three times in, the, uh, in Corinthians. He's writing to the church of Corinthians. The church of Corinthians has more issues than any other church because it's, a, it's just an ungodly place. They're, they're first-generation Christians. They weren't raised in the things of God. You have to give great grace to anyone who has not been raised in the things of God. It's all new for them. They don't know. Give them grace. And so Paul's writing them, and three times he makes a statement. I want to show you. I'm going to show you a New King James and an ESV. This is 2 Corinthians 2.19. Let me show you this in two different translations. This is the ESV. It says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? Look, I'm writing this for you. It's not for me, he says. It's for you. It has been, been thinking, okay. it has been in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your what? Building up. The new King James says edification. Paul says, I do everything to build up and to edify. What a lifestyle of how Paul reacted to problems. That's amazing. He's writing this letter by the hand of God to realign and straighten Christians. Yes, it gives them direction. Yes, it gives them encouragement. But if you read um, Corinthians, there's just so many corrections he has to do. He does it in love. It's just a, it's a hard parenting day. If you read Corinthians, just think, okay, it's just a tough parenting day. I'll get through it. I'll love them. I'll correct them. It's just what I have to do. It's a reaction I have to have. All right. The king's servants react differently, say differently, than the world. All right. If I see in Lafayette driving around a car with shopping carts all the way around it, I'm sending a church email. And someone's going to confess, okay, because I know it was one of you. Unless it was me and I just blame you. Okay. Let's keep going here. So here we are back in Matthew 2. All of Jerusalem with him. Verse 5. For they said to him, this, this baby is going to be born. It was easy. They pulled all the leaders together, all the spiritual leaders. Herod says, look, I don't know this stuff. You tell me. I don't, I don't, do, I don't do math. Go get a math tutor. 
You tell me, where are they going to be born? They said, well, that's easy. In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. For thus it is written by the prophet. Boy, I started thinking about that. For thus it is written, it is written, it is written. You know, that's the way Jesus started his ministry. When all the world and Satan himself came against him, that was Jesus' one-liner. It is written, it is written, it is written. Think about that's a powerful words. It's all throughout the Old Testament too. It is written, it is written, it is written. And I realize these people's lives are going to be determined by their belief. Now, now listen, listen, think about this. These people's lives that are living real time right now are going to be determined not by the Bible. They don't have the whole Bible yet. Not by the law. The first five books of the, of the Old Testament. You know, we got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Not by the law. They have all that. They all have judges. They have all the Psalms, all of that. Their life is going to be determined by their belief, by their reaction to this one scripture in Micah. If they're going to believe it to be true or not. This one scripture. It's not about believing the whole Bible. It's about believing every word in the Bible, isn't it? Well, I believe most of the Bible. Mm -mm. Their whole life will be determined. These, this is what's amazing about this. They pull all these priests and scribes together and they read this one little text from Micah. This one little text. And the God of the universe steps forward and said, Okay, are you going to believe my word or not? Because everything in your life will be dependent on Micah 5.2. That's what they're quoting from. Oh, that's heavy stuff. It's not like we're saying you need to believe the whole Bible, which we do. He's pulling them to task and saying, okay, people of God, is this one scripture going to be enough? Are you going to believe this? Oh. Number two on your notes. Our response to the king's word determines everything. Everything, doesn't it? Is their entire life at a crossroads right now? These priests, these scribes, Herod, all of Jerusalem, right? This word gets out real quick. I mean, this is big time on Twitter. It says all Jerusalem's with them. All of these priests and scribes go back and they're talking. Of course they are. And all of Jerusalem gets to make a decision based on one verse of Scripture, Micah 5, 2. Now, that's wonderful and scary at the same time, isn't it? That our entire lives, oh Lord, the prophet did not speak in vain when he said all those that tremble at his word. That was not an overplay. He wasn't, he, he wasn't speaking hyperbole. He was serious. All those that tremble at his word. You know, my whole life has been directed by whispers of the Holy Spirit. Yours too, when he just leans on you. It may be a scripture that jumps out at you and says, this is it right here. I hope and I pray your whole life, everything is directed by the word of God, both by his spirit that he speaks and his written word. This is what Hebrews 1 says. The writer of Hebrews to his people Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, not only by the prophets, but all kind of other ways too, visions, dreams, donkeys talking, everything. God's a speaking God. Has in the last time, in the last days, spoken to us by His Son. So they could be absolutely clear it's by His Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, look at that, all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding what? All things by the word of his power. Are you a thing? I'm a thing. 
all things are held by His Word. Oh, I want to be held by His Word. All things are held by His Word. All right, let's go back to our text, Matthew 2. Now we're going to jump into the Old Testament. They're quoting the Old Testament here. But you, in, this is Matthew 2, 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. Are not the least among the rulers of Judah. Okay, so remember this is Jews talking. He's quoted, they're quoting from Micah. This verbiage comes all the way back for, to Moses because they followed Moses, right? The law, that's a good thing. So when they're saying rulers, do you remember in the Old Testament when uh, Moses was about to lose his mind at his job and his father-in-law says, look, you're going to lose your mind and pull my, your family, my family down, down with it. And I don't love you that much, Moses, but I really like my daughter. You know, I love her. So this is what you need to do. You need to put people in charge of tens and then hundreds and then thousands. You need to let them make some decisions and disperse things, okay, because you're going you're to burn out here, Moses. Well, they did that. Well, that carries throughout Jewish history, and it's very common. And in fact, this word rulers means it's a thousand. It's like someone over a thousand, right? Now, what they're saying is you can just barely make a thousand. You're the least, let me say it right, are, the, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. It's a play on words like, look, you, you barely even a town. <laughs> you're, you're just a community. That's how small it was. Let me put it in our vernacular today. How many of you have been to Mamu? <laughs> Mamu. Oh, y'all laughing. Y'all know it. It's above Eunice, you know. Ma, ma, you've been to Mamu? Okay. So I was looking at the 2010 census of Mamu, Louisiana, up there in the rice fields, and the, and the uh, rice and crawfish pond. That's about all that's up there, huh? Mamu is three times bigger than Bethlehem was. According to the 2010 census, there are 3,242 people Mashad that live in Mamu. But in Bethlehem, they can't hardly scrape together a thousand, and we're counting the sheep too. All right? So it puts it into perspective. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. Excuse me, Judah. Judah and Judea are the same word. It's just two different ways to say it. One's Hebrew, one's Greek. Oh, Mamu. Let me tell you about this. You're the least. You're the least, but out of you will come the greatest. You're the least, but out of you will come the greatest. Is that what it says? That's what it says. I love to take the least and make them the greatest. You're the least in an area. I don't feel like I'm good in this area. I struggle with eating habits. I struggle with balancing my checkbook. It's wrong half the time. I struggle with getting frustrated at this. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. That's all right. Because you that are the least, the greatest is coming to you. And when he comes, amen? Number three on your notes. The king raises the lowest to the highest. The king raises the lowest to the highest. In fact, Bethlehem means house of bread or fruitful. That's, a, that's eternal prophetic that that tiny little nothing would be the bread of life for the entire world. Right here, even us. He's feeding you right now. He's sustaining you. That a third of the size of Mamu is the bread of life for the world, that millions and millions of Christians are meeting all over the world right now, worshiping, and Christians are being added daily to this planet by the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's, that's something right there. When he said the house of bread, he was not joking. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, 6. 
Let's read it right here. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. He loves to take the lowest and raise them to the highest. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are ye are not the least among the rulers of Judah. He calls it as it is. You're not even, it's going to take you three times the growth just to get to Mamu level. But out of you, I'm going to do something supernatural. Amen? All right, let's keep looking here. Still right there in verse 6. Yes, there are three R's for all the blanks. Yes, of course, once I had three R's, I had to search feverishly to have two more R's because I can't have three R's and then change it. So yes, they're all gonna, the blanks are going to start with R, of course. I'm not crazy. <laughs> verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. Now look at this. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Who is, who are, excuse me, these priests and these scribes speaking to when they say this? Who are they talking to? They're talking to Israel. And who's the specific? Who asked them to go find out where Jesus is going to be born? Herod. Herod said, you go find out where he's going to be born. The wise men are most probably there. They come back and they say, look, this is what the word says. He's speaking to Herod. He's speaking to a dictator type ruler who rules with an iron fist. He's good. He's good politically, but he rules. And he look, they look at Herod and they say, listen, a ruler is going to come out of Israel who's not only going to rule, it's going to be something altogether different. He's going to shepherd. Now Herod, even though he wasn't specifically a shepherd, that was so common in that culture, right? He's the one who built the temple to appease the Jews, the sacrifices. In fact, Bethlehem, most theologians believe, is the place where all the sheep for the sacrifice for the temple in Jerusalem stayed and lived. Jerusalem, excuse me, Bethlehem was like the sheep's, all the sacrifices for Jerusalem, for the main temple. He's looking at Herod and he says, I'm going to tell you, one's going to come up. This is right in Herod's face. Who's not only a ruler, because we got that. Herod's are easy. Look, this is America. Might makes right. And if you can make it happen, then you're, you're playing football on Sunday morning, right? We're going to go watch people who are some of the best athletes in America. Why do we watch them on Sunday morning? They're some of the best athletes in America. And we just go, wow, wow. Now, if they're playing bad, we go, oh. But he's a ruler. He's strong. He's good. He's a people person. He, everything he can do. He's been very successful in his position. But he says, hold on. He's not just going to be a ruler. Anyone can rule. I'm sending a shepherd. I'm sending the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's going to be so tender that baby lambs run to him, including little children, right? Suffer not the children coming to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And they were hanging all over him. There's this beautiful picture of the way Rome has done it, the way the Caesars do it, the way it happens, it's not going to happen anymore. Yes, he is just as powerful and, in fact, infinitely more powerful. But he's the shepherd. And you will see in him all things. That's why he says he's our all in all. He will rule. He will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Anyone can rule with an iron fist. But the shepherd heart not everyone has. Someone who says, I'm going to love them. Someone who says, I'm going to lead them. I'm going to be patient with them. I leave the 99 to go after them. That's a restful thing, isn't it? To think about a shepherd. When I think about a shepherd, I think about rest. I think about green pastures. Number four in your notes. Only his rule brings true rest. That also speaks of his humility. 
You have to understand shepherds, they were not CEOs. And to say there's going to be a ruler who's going to shepherd, what? A ruler who's going to serve? See, that's why we serve. That's why no matter what position God has us in, praise God for leadership. Praise God for growing. If you're a manager in your company or where you are, praise God. But we're always both. We're always leading. And by the grace of God, we're always serving at the same time. Listen to the way Jesus said it of himself in John 10. Beautiful description of himself. John 10, 7 through 11. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find what? Oh, I just, come on, he leads me beside still waters and green pastures. Oh, that's just so chilling, relaxing. I want to get a pillow and take a nap. Oh, by pastors. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the what? The good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Oh, the ruling, powerful shepherd. I love it. All right, one last one here. Back to Matthew 2. But let me give you an example before we do our last one. I got lots of time. I'm rolling here. There are two great cups for drinking, drinking cups, that come out of antiquity in Ireland. Ireland has a lot of marshes and boggy areas, believe it or not. And two cups were found in history that speak to the culture in that area. The first one comes from about 100 years before Christ. Ireland was a pagan area. Ireland was extremely violent. They worshiped multiple gods, and people don't know this, about, but, but Ireland actually had human sacrifice. It was a violent pagan place. When we think about human sacrifice, we always think about the, you know, the Mayans and all those things that we watch. But Ireland was just as bad. We know this from many sources and specifically from this cup that was found in Ireland in these barshes, marshes. Let me see how my Gaelic is. Gundustrip cauldron, the Gundustrip cauldron, was found a century, possibly two before Christ, a time when the Irish worshipped violent pagan gods. One panel of this very large giant cauldron shows a gigantic cook god holding squirming humans and dropping them into a vat of boiling oil. Can you see that? That upside, the large person, he's a type of god dropping humans into this vat of oil. These gods demanded human sacrifice, and the pagan Gaelic people gave to appease his appetite. There was a second cup found. Not far from the area the first one was. The date is a few hundred years later, but still very far back in time. The Ardridge Chalice. The Ardridge, Ardridge Chalice. This is the other one found. The first one, 100 years before Christ, right? I said that. The second one, 100 years dated after Christianity hits Ireland in the 7th century. They look very different, don't they? One violent depicts the human heart and all its wretchedness. This was a communion cup. This was given during church services for communion to represent the blood of Christ, the one who spilled his blood to bring rest to the world. Very different, aren't they? I, I would put that in my house and let it sit on my mantle. I'd be a billionaire too. <laughs> okay, I would sell that. <laughs> the first one, 
The fir- I'll be honest, come on, you would too. It's beautiful, but, you know, we'd sell it. <laughs> the first one I could not put in my house because we're like a PG house. I got a bunch of little kids, right? The difference between just a ruler and a shepherd, between the, the gods and rulers of this world and the one who spilled his own blood to give us rest. Boy, I look at that first one and my blood pressure rises. I look at that second communion cup and I say, oh God, oh God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Verse 8 of Matthew 2. Excuse me, verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold the star. It had come back again. So there's always grace. It had left when they got to Jerusalem, and all their hopes and dreams laid at Jerusalem. When we get to Jerusalem, these wise men say, everyone's going to be excited like us. Everything's going to be great. We're going to hit this thing. There's going to be a huge party. Everything's going to be wonderful. They get there, and no one gives a care. They're consumed with their world. No one cares about the things of God. And they're shocked. They're in awe. They're discouraged and dismayed. They're going to Jerusalem. They're just wise men from the east. They get there like, oh my goodness, what happened? This is the saving place. This is the place the Messiah is going to come. And there's not a whisper. God's greater than any place that used to be great that's broken and fallen. I don't care if that's your physical body. I don't care if that's your struggle in your relationships. He's greater because he sent the star again and said, don't worry. I know you thought leadership was coming from there. I know you thought the relationship, everything was going to be great when you got to Jerusalem, and it wasn't, and there was disappointment. But the star will bring you to exactly where I want you to be. Exactly. Exactly. Behold, the star reappears, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. There is no confusion in their heart and mind. Although previously, you know their heart and mind was full of confusion. Herod's getting there. He's telling them something. He's pulling them in secret and telling them. Bad things always happen in secret, right? You always know. Look, if someone pulls you aside and wants to talk to you secretly, oh, get worried. <laughs> now, it's not bad every time. All of these things, they're con- what's going on here? But the star guides them, brings them peace, and puts them exactly where they're supposed to be, over the very home and the place where Jesus was. He's probably six months old, possibly older. Joseph and Mary stayed in Bethlehem for up to two years before the flight to Egypt. I look at this and I think, wow, all this just to get them over a house so they could see a king, So they could see the cross. No, just a young child. Just a young child holds all the world. All the salvation of the world right there. What an amazing, difficult thing to see. They don't know what they're going to encounter. But they get there. And whatever the scene was that we see in our mind, you know, nativities or whatever, it's a humble scene. But a humble scene doesn't necessarily mean a powerful scene. In fact, some of those impactful things in my life have been very humble scenes. Watching someone do something extremely menial that was so impactful. And so it must have been with these wise men that when they saw that, they fell down. They threw their gifts. They put, presented their gifts. There's no hesitation in the Bible that this was a, 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 an amazing reward to them that they got there and they were so elated that there was no disappointment in it. There's no disappointment in God. There's disappointment in the world. There's no disappointment in God. There's trial. There's tribulation. There's patience. There's hard work. There's perseverance. There's faith. There's all of these things. But no one who puts their trust in Him, what does the Bible say, shall be put to shame. Lastly on your notes. Christ is the highest reward. 
y'all probably already had that one. Because I knew it was an R already, so I mean, it's not that many that can go on there. Let's stand up. We'll read a couple of scriptures to end. Let's illustrate this. One of my life verses is Genesis 15.1. I have a few of them, but Genesis 15.1 because the Lord spoke it to me and I had to make a decision how I was going to live my life. You know, I'm, uh, I love people. As a child, as a teen, especially a young man, my overwhelming desire was to please people, just to make them happy, make them happy, make them happy. I'm actually a middle child, not an oldest. So the middle children naturally want everyone to get along, right? They, they, want, they want peace. So my desire in life was just to make people happy. If they're happy, I'm good. I'm content in life. Well, that's good. It can be bad, too, because there'll be idols. Because you'll, you'll even do, the reason I struggled with lying when I was a child is because I was just trying to make people happy all the time and I would just lie. <laughs> you been there? Yeah. You probably may have kids like that. I got one. So when I struggled like that, and maybe some of you do, because I wasn't a, naturally a, this is truth, this is justice, and I walk in it. I would just, okay, what can I do just to make people happy? If I had a boss or whatever, I'll just, I'll just try to make people happy, make people happy, make people happy. Well, the problem is, if you grow and you have influence, then impurities start to get in there because you're just trying to make people happy. And I'm reading Genesis 15, 1, and, the, and I wasn't an insecure person. This wasn't 20 years ago. This was just a few years ago. And the Lord asked me a question. And I had to deal with my own heart, as we do, right? We are in a constant state by the Holy Spirit of being purified and sanctified and going on from glory to glory, and He's completing the work that He started us. You should be, it doesn't matter if you're 16 or 66, you should be feeling like, okay, He's moving me. He's, 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 he's adjusting me. He's working on me. He's doing something. Genesis 15.1 is a scripture. He's, God's talking to Abram. Before the promised land, before he's Abraham, before anything. I've shared this before, and you know, I've shared every few months. This is what it says, Genesis 15:1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid. This is right after the defeat of the kings. This is right after, I don't know how I'm going to make this world around me work, and all these other people in the promised land, and, and relationship issues, and all that. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield your exceedingly great reward. The wise man saw Jesus and said, okay, that's the reward. That's the greatest right there. Abraham is asked by God, listen, will it be enough for you if I'm your reward? Am I enough, right? It's all about him. Am I enough? And Abraham says, and when the Lord said, Stephen, I'll use you. Don't worry about that. You worry too much about stuff. You know, what it looks like. What it, am I enough for you? Am I enough? I said, okay. Right? I got it, Lord. I, I, I got success now. I, I, I missed it. I, got, I understand it a little bit better. And I was looking at this, and I was thinking about an example in the one more example as we close here in Ruth we got a Moabite who's in the with the people of Israel she shouldn't even be there her, her father-in-law who's dead now went there was a famine and he heads out to another land with his wife Naomi they got two sons the man dies they're in trouble the two sons get married to two ladies the, the sons die uh, Ruth and Naomi in poverty and in horrible difficulty they come back to Israel. They're trying to figure this whole, whole thing out. Well, Ruth is submitted and she's a woman of God and Boaz is, is her kinsman redeemer. He's a type of Christ. But I want to show you something how this connects to the wise men and back to Jesus. Okay, I know it's a long way, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to connect. And Boaz answered and said to host. So Boaz is speaking to Ruth and he says, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband. You followed her back. You're just a Moabite. You're there in the land of Israel helping her. Um, you're gleaning from the edge of the field. It's been reported to me. And how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people who did not, you did not know before. It's a big sacrifice. Next verse. Now, 
listen to the prophetic words that are going to echo through time and history. And we live past all of them and get to watch the fulfillment of them. Not everyone gets to do this. That's why angels desire to look and to live in the time we do. Because we have the complete word of God. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you a what? A what? A full what? Reward. Reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to refuge. Boaz says, listen, I can't repay you. I can't repay you for what you've done. He's going to be his kinsman and redeemer. He's going to become her husband. But he prophetically says, I'm going to tell you who's going to repay you. God's going to do this. He's greater than me. I'm going to bring you out of poverty. I'm going to help heal your broken heart of widowhood and loneliness. I'm going to help your your mother-in-law. All of the things you could possibly imagine he's going to do. And he says, I can't do it. God is the only one who can reward you. Because he's so much higher than me. He's the only one who can do this. I know everyone's so big on Boaz, but you don't understand. God is the one who will reward because his is the highest. I'm barely scraping the surface here. Now, what's her reward? Well, we don't find that until Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Thousands of years of history. Simon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by who? Ruth. The Moabite in the New Testament by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot King David. And you keep going. And you see her reward. Boaz says, everything I can do is not enough. I'm not high enough to do it. And he prophetically says, the Lord will reward you. What did the Lord give her? Himself, the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's the highest reward ever that can be given. The person and work of Jesus. You will be in the line of the Savior. That's Christmas. Amen. Come on now, let's worship him. We've got a few minutes left. Come on now. That's the reward. Boaz could give her the world. He said, no, there's something greater. This is how I fight my battles. 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 It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Just worship them, just praise them. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I find my battles. 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 This is how I find my. It may look like. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, Jesus. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. Come on, let's pray together. Come on. Thank you, Lord. You can, you can sing that in the background. This is how I find my battles. 
Come on, let's come to him. Let's come to him completely and totally. Best we know how. Let's, let's come to him the way the wise men did. Let's come to him the way Christ followers do, not the way the world does. We are not worried at things. We rejoice in the word of God. Lord, we make a commitment to honor every word in your book, whether it's Micah 5.2 or it's for God to love the world. We honor and, and obey every word. We make that commitment, God. That's the way we want to live our lives. That's what you've called us to do, Lord. We do not want to get hung up and have a life redirected in the wrong direction because we don't. there's something we're not obeying. Lord, we commit to obey every part of the word of God. Let Holy Spirit convict us in an area we're not. Even if it's Micah 5 2, Lord, we, we want to serve you every way we can. No, Lord, we just come as the wise men, knowing no matter where we are in the journey, you're faithful, and the reward at the end is glorious because it's not a good job for man, it's nothing that comes from this planet. It is, in fact, the reward of heaven itself. It is none less than you, Jesus. It is you. The Lord will repay. Oh, God. It's you. Oh, thank you, Father. For unto us a child is given. Us, Lord, you gave us yourself. Thank you so much as we reflect on that this Christmas season. Thank you so much, God, as we reflect that you gave us us. You could give us the world. It would not be enough. Only you yourself could save us from our sins. Oh, God of heaven. We will not try to fix anything in this world except through you. For in you we live and move and have our being. We cannot fix anything except through you, God. Though we could change the whole world, it would be nothing unless we do it through you, God. We commit to live like that. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, that your word is deep in us. We give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our lives. In the name above all names. And everyone said, amen. Now praise him. Praise him. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. If you need prayer or anything.